Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen, Amen, Amen. Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 12, verse 12. John chapter 12, verse 12. I want to talk to you today about further to follow. It's awesome that we began our service with people making a recommitment or a commitment to follow Christ as a teenager or even as an adult. But farther to follow, further to follow, what makes you trust a person enough to believe in them even when you don't understand what they're doing or why? You ever looked at your spouse and said, what in the world are you doing? And they're just like, just trust me. I know what I'm doing. Just trust me. How many know that conversation's happened before? Just trust me. I've done this before. I know what I'm doing. Or, you know, everybody's looking at each other kind of weird. And, uh, but, you know, those that you uh, know really well, you come to trust Billy, or really well. Uh, even if you don't understand everything they're doing, because you come to know them, you, uh, they earn your trust, right? And that's kind of how we are. And that's why even parents would tell their teenagers, if your friends jumped off a bridge, would you jump too? Because it seems like we follow those that we really know and that we believe in and that we would trust them to do some crazy things because... We know them. We have a relationship with them. So a uh, little story. I was, uh, I was a teenager, and uh, we lived in Missouri back in the day, right? And so on the summers, I'd come home uh, to the Arkansas-Louisiana border, and uh, we would, I'd bring my four-wheelers sometimes. So I was following my uncle uh, and his son, Lee Weatherly, who you know. He's an evangelist. He comes and preaches here sometime. And they were driving. We're going from soybean field to soybean field, going through on the four-wheelers. And they've got their two or three that they're driving, and I'm behind them. And we're going, and I'm just following them from field to field. But we come to this uh, ditch. And when I say ditch, I use the term lightly. It was more like a ravine trench with alligator infested waters, which is at least how I interpret it as a, you know, as a 16 year old. And uh, how did you get across this? Well, they took four telephone poles and laid them across two on this side and two on the other side. And they would put their grooves, their wheels in between the two that are butted up together. You're with me. That kind of made a train track. And here's the problem, though. They're on these Yamaha Grizzlies and their Hondas, and they are made this bridge to fit their four-wheelers. Well, I happen to be on a Polaris, so if you know anything about Polaris, they're a little wider, okay, are you following me, than these other four-wheelers. And they go across it, no problem, hey, come on, follow. And I'm thinking, this is going to be the end. I'm going to die in Arkansas. And so, uh, and I know them. I've spent my life with them. This is my blood kin. And they're like, just come over, come over. You can make it. It'll hold you. And we'll guide you across. You just start driving. We'll tell you if you're starting to fall off or not. And I'm thinking, ain't no way. At that moment, I had to make up the decision. How much do I trust these people who are my relatives to tell me the right thing? And how far am I willing to follow them in this journey? All right? You know, and that's how it is sometimes with people. I've learned a little bit about people in pastoring for these 14, 15 years. Uh, and I've, I've learned that you have to have enough currency with people for them to trust you, for them to follow you. Because those that we f uh, follow really are the ones that we believe in. And uh, we're kind of finicky. If someone comes into our world and we have our own routine and we have our life how we like it, and someone messes that up, we are quick to not follow them very far, right? Are you with me? Uh, and I, you can notice this in, even in churches sometimes that uh, a new pastor will come in and he'll change all kinds of stuff up and that pastor is quick to go out the door because he hasn't had enough investment in 
for them to trust him on where he's going, uh, to follow them, because we have to know those people very well for us to follow them. And that's a good thing in some sense. And pastors aren't perfect, and, and sometimes we, uh, a pastor can buy in as much as they think they can. Sometimes pastors will go to the hospital visits, they'll counsel, they'll marry, they'll bury, and then the pastor can do one thing and that people leave that church. Right? That's how we are. And what that pastor learns real quick is he didn't have as much currency as he thought he did. He hadn't earned their trust. They don't believe in him like they thought, like he thought they did. And pastors are not perfect, and that's good that we kind of have discernment about that. But I thought about that. But you know, I think sometimes we're doing this with God and we're unaware. For instance, God can show up in our worlds and we are fine so long as God is meeting our needs and doing what we expect Him to do. Uh, And we're following God through this life that we have. But what happens when God starts doing things we don't understand? What happens when God starts messing up your routine? What happens when God does things unexpectedly? Or what happens when things happen and they're not always good things, that we go through pain and suffering and loss or tribulation and persecution? Because sometimes we are following a God that we think we understand the why, and we're fine to follow Him when we understand the why, but what happens when you begin to follow a God that you don't understand? that he begins to do things that you're not comfortable with. Sometimes I think we're failing to follow God even in the good times, so how can we ever hope to follow him in the bad times? Do we trust God enough to follow him into sacrifice and suffering? What if he meant giving up your routine? What if he asks more than your expectation? What if he calls you to something you've never done before, into something you've never seen him do before? I love that old hymn that says, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. I think we would like to think that we're trusting Jesus. And I think we'd like to think that we're following Jesus. But each of us have moments in life where we come to a trench We come to an obstacle. We come to a moment we don't rightly understand. We don't understand what he's doing, how he's doing it, why he's doing it. Difficult situations and circumstances. And you and I have to make up our minds. How far will I follow this guy? Has God earned my trust enough to follow him in every circumstance, in every season, in every situation. And I would like to say that, yes, I hope I have that relationship with him. But I know this, I have further to follow Jesus. I still have many more ditches to cross. I still have many more things that God could do in our lives that are unexpected, uh, not usual, that they could be things, the difficulties ahead. And each of us has to say, God, I'm going to follow you even if I don't understand you. How many are with me this morning? Say amen. Do we willingly follow God even if we don't understand Him? That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. We all have further to follow None of us has arrived just yet. 
So let's look in John chapter 12 on this day of Palm Sunday. And Jesus has performed his last greatest miracle, the raising of Lazarus. And he's approached Jerusalem for this festival of Passover. And this crowd begins to shout this, this phrase from a different festival. And they say, Hosanna, which means save, we pray. And they pull out the palm branches, which represent victory. And they throw their coats over on the ground. And they begin to do what we call the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem for this Passover festival, the last week of Jesus. His life here on earth. And they followed him because they believed they understood. Somebody say, understand. They believed they understood the scriptures, but they would quickly not understand what Jesus was doing. And they would stop following him because they didn't understand him. Are we following God so long as we understand him? Or do we say, God, I still have further to follow? John 12, 12. Look at this. On the next day, when the large crowd had come to the feast, they heard Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. They took branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, indeed the King of Israel. And Jesus, having found a donkey, sat on it as was written, do not fear, daughter Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And these things the disciples did, look at that, did not understand at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him, that they had done these things for him. They were doing things. They didn't understand why they were doing them. And so the people who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb, they raised him from the dead, continued to testify about him. For this reason, also, the people went out to meet him. Many people were coming out to meet him, okay? And they heard that he'd performed this sign. The people were following the sign of the resurrection. So Pharisees even said to one another, you see, not all, all these people, all, you see that not all these accomplished everything. Look, the whole world has gone after him. The whole world has gone after him. There were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. And these two people came to Philip, who was from the state of Galilee, and were making requests to him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Everybody wants to see this guy. And Philip came and told Andrew, and Andrew came to Philip, and they told Jesus. And Jesus answered and said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and it dies, it remains alone. But if it dies... It bears much fruit. Verse 25, this is key. The one who loves his life loses it. The one who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must what? Follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul has gone troubled. What am I to say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice comes out of heaven. I have both glorified it, will glorify it again. And the crowd stood by, heard it, were saying they had thundered. And others were saying an angel spoke to him. But Jesus responded and said, this voice has not come for my sake, but for yours. Verse 31, now judgment is upon this world. The ruler of this world will be cast out. In verse 32, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Are you seeking a Jesus you can understand, or are we following a Jesus as he is? Now, everyone was following a wonder-working, sign-making Jesus. It's easy to follow God when things are cool and things are awesome. And they were going after the miracles. And in fact, it said all kinds of crowds. People were seeking after the sign of Lazarus. Gentiles were coming to talk to him. Even the whole world, the Pharisees even said, it's like the whole world's gone after this guy. Everybody, man, Jesus, I don't care what religion you are, Jesus is a cool dude. If you can walk on water and heal the sick and cast out demons, even other religions recognize he was a mighty prophet. 
Even other, uh, even other people, even seculars will say, man, he was a good guy. He's got real cool statements on love. He, man, he loves everybody. Let's just throw up the peace sign. There's a lot of people. If you look at Jesus, he's a likable guy. And the whole world went after him. And even the, some good, let's say, church-going people went after him because they were even willing to testify of who he was. And this was the best church service you could possibly imagine. One commentator said it was as if Jesus got out of the airport uh, in London, got him a motorcade, a limousine, and some police escort, and went to Buckingham Palace. And all these people just shouted, long live the king. This is what's going on here. I mean, can you imagine how insulting that would be? And nobody would, un everybody would understand what's going on. The best church service in the world. The king has come. Man, he's arrived. But they were rightly worshiping him, but they did not have understanding. They were rightly worshiping. Listen to me. They were fulfilling scripture. They were fulfilling the prophecies. He is king, and they were worshiping his king, and they were shouting the right words. But they only understood them in the way they interpreted them. If you look in Psalms chapter uh, 118, Psalms chapter 118, you'd see that there was a verse that they would begin to quote and sing about. And they would begin to shout Hosanna. But the beginning of that verse says that he would be the stone the builders rejected. And the end of that chapter would say that he would be the lamb that was slain. They would say, bind the sacrifice on the altar. You know, we have a, sometimes a problem about taking verses out of context. And they rightly understood all the verses about the Messiah living forever, but they did not understand the verses about him dying. They were doing the right thing, but they were following without understanding. They only knew in part, so they only went as far as they understood. Listen to me this morning. You can do the right thing in coming to church and worshiping God. But will you stop following Him at the point of understanding Him? You and I have to make a decision how much I know and trust this guy. If he is who he says he is. You see, we can come to church and we can worship him as king, but that doesn't mean we're following Jesus or even that we know him. You say, oh, I'm Jesus' biggest fan, okay? What if following Jesus meant selling everything you love? What if it cost you your friends or your career? What if it mean you had to speak in public to a stranger or stand up and prophesy in the middle of a church or speak in new tongues or handle deadly snakes? Uh, no, not that kind of Tennessee church. But in the Bible, handle deadly things, walk through scorpions, and these signs will follow those who believe. What if it meant moving from this place into a foreign country if God came into your life and told you to do that? How far are you willing to follow God even if you don't understand Him? Because it's real easy to follow God in a Christian routine when it's comfortable and it's easy and it makes sense in our minds. But what if we're missing who and how big He really is? Remember that story about the rich young ruler and he says, Jesus, what do I do to have eternal life? And he says, uh, I've done all these commandments. He says, well, the greatest commandment, you know, love God with everything you've got. Love your neighbor as yourself. He said, you know, I do that. And he said, what else am I missing? Because he knew something. 
He knew something was missing. What did Jesus say? He said, there's one thing you still lack. Or another verse says, for completion. If you want everything, if you want to be all in, sell everything you have to the poor and come follow me. And the Bible says he put his head down and he walked away sad because he was a man of much property. He owned a lot of property. You know, I think we have some property on that street. Pride Lane, right? Earthly Court. There's parts of our heart that say, I won't, I'm not sure I'm going to follow him past that ditch. I don't think that looks comfortable. I don't think that looks easy. God, why did you do this in my life? Why are you asking this of me? Why did you take me here? I don't understand how I could do those things. That doesn't make sense to me in Scripture. I don't see how that works. Am I sure this is even you? And you and I have to come to a place where I'm not just following a miraculous Jesus. I'm going to follow a dying Jesus. And that's my second point. You see, it's easy to seek after a miraculous Jesus, but it's hard to follow a dying Jesus. You see, in the middle of this great worship service, can you imagine? Jesus is kind of a downer here. In verse 25, he says, they're going, Hosanna, this is a great church service. We're going to win. Rome's going to get defeated, and God is going to come down, and there's about to be a white horse, and angels are going to come down. I remember that verse from, you know, he's going to live forever. He's going to reign. And then Jesus says, the one who loves his life loses it. The one who hates his life in this world keeps it to eternal. If you're going to serve me, you've got to follow me. And where I am, uh, you're going to be also. And you've got to deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me. And if you really want your life, you've got to lose it and hate it. Okay, Jesus, moving on. Hosanna! I mean, that's kind of what it was like. You see, as they were approaching over the hill of Mount of Olives and looking at the city of Jerusalem, they were shouting Hosanna. You know what Jesus was doing? He was weeping. And he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you don't understand the hour of your visitation. Oh, how I want to embrace you like a mother hen takes her chicks in. Man, I, I, I weep for you. You don't know who is really coming. You are only following me as long as you understand me. The Bible says his ways are so far above our ways. His, his, his knowledge is incomprehensible. And Jesus was about to pay a debt that for some people, hopefully would earn the right that they would follow him no matter the cost, no matter the distance, because they would come to know him and love him and trust him closer than a brother, better than a best friend. He would be the wonderful counselor to them. The Holy Spirit would come on the inside of them and they would say, yes, Jesus, I will follow you even to death. You see, it's different to follow a dying Jesus. You see, there was a trench they were not willing to cross. If you know anything about the ancient city of Jerusalem, there was a Mount of Olives, and there was another a, a valley called the Kidron Valley. And then there was another hill called Mount Moriah where the Temple Mount was. Then there was another little hill, and then there was a, a place called Calvary or Golgotha, the place of the skull. And along the way, it would get harder and harder for people to cross that ditch, to cross that trench. And they'd have to make a determination how far Am I willing to follow him? Because I believe he is king. You see, they knew he'd live forever, but they didn't understand that he would have to die. That the stone the builders had made, they rejected this chief cornerstone. And this sacrifice would be laid there at the altar. Even the disciples, the Bible says, didn't understand until the Spirit gave them revelation after they had seen the cross.
You know, sometimes we don't get God working until we look back. How many know that's true? Sometimes you don't understand what God's doing. You look back and go, ah, now it makes sense. I know how he got me through that season. I didn't even see him working, but I see that now he got me through that season in my life. I don't understand how or why he was calling me to move to Gina, Louisiana, but now I look back and say, I understand. I don't understand why God took certain people in my life at certain times, but I can look back and say, God, I can see you working. Or I can look back and say, God, how I didn't know you were helping me get over these habits and hangups in my life, but I can look back and I say, God, you were with me every step of the way. I can see you now. But I didn't understand then. How many have that happen in their life before? I don't always understand what God is doing and why. But let me tell you something. He's earned my trust. I have a trust and a hope in Jesus. Like we said this morning, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, his righteousness. I'm not going to trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. That's the rock you have to stand on. You have to say, I'm willing to cross the valley. I'm willing to go to the next hill and the next hill and the next hill, no matter the cost, because I know him and what he has done for me. And I will follow a dying Jesus. Even though he slay me, I will bless the Lord. You have to have belief that he's earned it. I may not have, you, I may do something crazy and y'all, some of y'all may leave. I may not have earned it, but Jesus has. Jesus has earned the right for me to follow him no matter the cost, even when I don't understand it. You know, and I, we have these understandings, and we can miss the truth of God's word even after a great church service. This is proof. And it's easy to worship Jesus when we like and we understand what he's doing. But what about when we can't see the why? You might have a definition about what a man is. Man, don't cry. Men don't raise their hands. Men don't bow down in the worship service. Men aren't emotional. We have our definitions beyond our understanding. We may have a definition of what we think success looks like. No, you need to at least have a cushion. That's not what the Bible says. Oh, we got to have this or that. We may have find some comfortable version of Christian behavior we think is normal. That's not my comfortability of Christianity. Those are jumping, shouting kind of Christians. I'm not, I don't know. That's not my level. Just saying, how comfortable we get in our routines. The Bible says David danced naked, which means that he danced not in priestly robes, and he was made fun of. He got outside of the comfortability. Wherever God goes, that's where I go. Whatever God does, that's what I do. We want to reserve the right to tell someone off just in case we need to. I'm going to hold that right there. I was listening to a parent, and I was eavesdropping on a parent talking about kids that fought on the baseball team field or whatever, something this last week. I won't go into names or details. They're like, well, I told them as long as they don't, you know, give them three chances. And then if that doesn't happen, you end it. All right? And they're like, when we were at church on Wednesday, I'm like thinking here, they don't know I'm a pastor. I'm listening in. I'm thinking, is that what the Bible says? We're reserving the right, you know, turn the other cheek until they really deserve it, Right? Go the extra mile until they really, you know, just tick you off. We have a little box for God. We want to reserve it. We want to have a financial cushion. We think we're mostly good, but you know, our flesh has to die to come to Christ. 
It's a moment where you go with Him to that place and you give up the control of self. You admit that you're a sinner, that you needed Him to die, that you have to have death before you can have a new life, and that if you want to stay on this side of the cross, you're only going to have a physical, earthly relationship with Him. But when you come to the place of death, then on the other side of the cross is new life. You see, you had to go to the cross with Christ to get to the tomb of Christ. You have to go to death to get to new life. And unless you died with Christ, you're going to never live with Christ. It's just going to be a routine. It's just going to be a tradition. It's just going to be a thing, a facade. And you can go to the greatest church service in the world and shout, Hosanna, King of Kings, but you'll never come to know Him like you know Him when the Holy Spirit is involved. If there's something you wouldn't die to with Christ, then that's an area of unbelief. If there's something you wouldn't die to with Christ, then that place is an area of unbelief. I was not a hand-raising Christian growing up. I was not a tongue-talking Christian growing up. I was not a stranger-talking Christian and going to overseas mission trips. I was not a preaching Christian. I hated crowds. I don't like people as a person. I just don't. I hate shopping at Christmas. I don't, I, it terrifies me to go up to strangers and talk to them. But God, in his infinite wisdom and knowledge, decided to make this poor pitiful man into a pastor. I don't know why, but it was my choice to lay down all the things I don't know and don't understand and walk with him step by step into areas that were uncomfortable for me. Areas where I had to die to self to do things I didn't have have figured out, but that's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to believe that He is who He says He is. The cross can look gory, but Jesus knew it would bring glory. Has He earned your trust so that you'll follow Him through all things? Lastly is, once you follow a dying Jesus, you begin to believe in a risen Jesus. Those who reject the cross will stand judged before God, he said, but those who would follow him, he says, if you serve me, you'll follow me. Where was he going? To the cross. It's only after the cross that you can really worship Jesus as the true risen king. It's only after the cross that you can see the joy of the Holy Spirit and boldness come into your life. It's only after the cross when you die to Christ does things in your life in that area begin to make sense. Uh, Andrew Murray says it's like that moment where a tree is grafted into another tree and what they do is they take this vine for instance a grape they take this grape vine the main stalk and they'll put a, a knife down it and they'll slice it open and they'll expose the wound of that vine and they'll take another dead, almost dead branch and they'll put it in the wound of that vine and that wound will close up around it and the sap and the nutrients from that large vine will begin to go into that other branch. And that's what it's like with you in Christ and me in Christ. I can't get His nutrients unless I participate in the wounding of Him. 
unless you're willing to go to the cross and say it was my sin that nailed him there and take it upon yourself and say I am a wretched and horrible sinner deserving of hell but because he loved me he was wounded for my transgressions and he opened a place on that cross and the blood spilled out and I have to go with him there and be grafted into Christ and unless I get into the death of Christ I'll never get into the life of Christ are you with me this morning you have got to die to self to have new life it's a work of the spirit it's a work of participating in the death that's why I say at our church you can't really come and celebrate Easter with us rightly until you celebrate Good Friday with us because you got to go to the cross first it's got to be personal it's got to be personal I love that old song, we don't sing it enough. The old rugged cross despised by the world has a wondrous attraction for me. For the dear Lamb of God left His glory above to bear it to dark Calvary, 1913. It has a wondrous attraction. He says, I will be lifted up and then I'll draw all men to myself. What kind of men? Men who believe He's earned the right for them to follow Him anywhere. See, it's easy to follow him with signs and wonders and God's going to bless you and he's going to make you prosperous, he's going to give you a new job, he's going to find you the perfect honey, you know, and, and he's going to just be your all in all and it's going to be a great rosy Christian life, live up the American dream and just live blessed and go to heaven when you die and you're going to have a lot of people at your funeral, it's going to be awesome. Oh, but the cross, you don't really know him till you know him on the cross. You don't really see him for as he is, risen the risen Savior on the cross is the resurrected Savior. I have to go to that place. There's something very special. I had this huge fear of people in public speaking. And as I step out in faith and cross that trench and line up your four-wheeler on those tracks and say, I don't think I can do this. And he's like, just come on over. Do, I, do you trust me? Have I earned it? And you think, ah, okay. Let's take a leap of faith. Because I believe in you. And I know that you'll never leave me for, nor forsake me. You're going to be with me till the end of the days. What you've done on that cross proves your love for me. It proves your goodness for me. And so God, no matter what you call me to give up, no matter where you call me to go, I will lay my life down with you. If you tell me to turn the other cheek and walk away from that argument, I will do it. If you tell me to empty my bank account, I will do it. If you tell me to walk across the street and start talking to a person, God, I'm going to do it. Because no matter what, Lord, I will follow you I still got further to follow I still have further to follow and when you begin to do that you will find that there is such a joy coming to the end of yourself there's such a joy when you begin to do things for God simply by faith even if you don't understand him you can still know him he's earned it he's proven it and can we truly say, man, Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. And close with this. There's the, divine, the cross, one author says, is the divine magnet. And our attitude with regard to it shows what we really are. You see, when you come to the cross and you really see your Savior there nailed for your sins, you're going to see in yourself what still has left to die. And when I come to the cross, I can say, I still have things I need to nail to that thing. Is there anything left in you 
But you say, I'm still holding on to control. I'm still holding on to pride. I'm still holding on to understanding. I have things that I, you know, the, the Bible is always true. It's always finished and complete. But my understanding is not. My faith is not. And so I come to a God and I say, God, even if I don't get it, even if I don't understand it, because of the cross, I'll follow you anywhere. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? If you know him, you'll trust him. And if you trust him, you'll follow him. Do you know him? Do you trust him? And will you follow him? Are you only following a God you can understand? And if so, what happens when he does something you don't understand? Are you only following him because you think you understand him? Jesus did so many things the disciples didn't understand until way later, but they kept on following. Is he that good to you? Is he that wonderful? Is he the King of Kings?